Acts, 1 Peter, chapter 5, 1 through 5. Please listen to the words of our Lord. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us pray and ask God for his help. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, just this opportunity to sit under the authority of your word. Lord, help me to do just that. Lord, help me to only say what your word teaches us, Lord, and help us to grow and learn from it. Father, we need your help as we seek to understand what church leadership looks like, what elders should be, what they do, who they are. But Father, we truly need your help. So we ask what we know not you would teach us, and what we are not you would make us, and what we have not you would give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. Well, as Pastor Brandon mentioned last week, we're going to take a break in our study of the Gospel of John for the next 10 weeks to look at some essential topics that we think are very important as we continue to grow as a church. Typically, uh, we do book studies. We do uh, ex exegetical uh, studies of God's word, different books of the Bible. And uh, then often we will take time to just pause and to look at some different topics that we think are uh, essential for our church. Uh, Lord willing, we will spend the next six weeks looking at some of the biblical distinctives that make a church a church. Uh, then the following four weeks, we're, we're going to revisit our family values, our core values as a church. Uh, for some of you that are new members, uh, you haven't been uh, able to sit through uh, teaching through that. And just uh, we also think we want to we want to uh, reassess. We want to take inventory of how we are as a church uh, in the areas of doctrine, discipleship, devotion, and deployment. And I think revisiting our values is essential uh, because an internal assessment is necessary to ensure we don't get too far downstream, right? And to make it harder for us to swim upstream to get back to where we want to be uh, and to where we should be as a church. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come if the Lord sees fit for us to get through these next six weeks looking at the distinctives of a church. So I'm going to go ahead and just give us a roadmap uh, the six weeks that we have ahead. Um, the distinctives that we're going to look at. Um, also, I uh, commend to you, there's some books on the back. There's a lot of books today, right? Um, there's some books on the back at the resource table um, that uh, give further explanation on uh, each of these distinctives that we will be talking about 
over the course of the next six weeks. Uh, they are our gift to you. Uh, if you feel like you want more uh, or concise, uh, further teaching on it, then uh, you can grab that and take one of those, and we would be happy to uh, give that to you. But the next six weeks, here's what we're going to look at. Number one, we're going to look at church leadership, understanding church leadership. Uh, then we're going to understand the seek to understand what the congregation's authority is. So there's church leadership, and then there's the congregational authority. Uh, then we're going to seek to understand church discipline. Uh, what is church discipline? How does that take place? Uh, then we're going to seek to understand in week four the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? Who takes the Lord's Supper? Why is the Lord's Supper important? Uh, then we're going to seek in for, uh, week five uh, to understand baptism. What is baptism? Uh, this may shock some of you, but we are technically a Baptist church. We believe in believers' baptism. We are not a part of any denominational affiliation. We're not a part of the SBC for many reasons. Um, but we are, not, uh, we are a Baptist church. We believe that uh, it is a profession of faith, then, precedes a, uh, or then comes a baptism. We believe that's what Jesus commanded the church to do. And then finally, what we'll look at in week six is the Great Commission. Uh, what does it look like now that we understand these things? How do we as a church live on mission? How, what do we, how do we uh, take our marching orders from our King Jesus and then go into the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to what? Obey what Jesus has taught us. So, um, like I said, there's some books on the table. I uh, recommend you grab a copy if you want to read further on any of these topics. Um, but uh, what we're going to do is uh, just look at these. And one thing I want to point out is that these uh, distinctives are just simple elements of a healthy church. Uh, this isn't anything that's, uh, you know, just uh, obscure, just something special that we do. I would say that they are just basic ingredients that are needed in order for a church to actually function in the way that God has intended the church to operate. We've got to remember, and I think this is very important in our culture and Western eyes, is that the church is God's idea. The, the church is God's church. It is Christ's church. It's the people that he gave his life for. We're not given creative liberty to just kind of design the church in the ways that we see fit. There are certain elements that are basic ingredients, and we know this because God's word tells us this. All these distinctions that we'll be looking at in the next six weeks are clearly presented to us in numerous places in Scripture. And I would uh, just exhort uh, all of my fellow Christians and brothers and sisters that these are not just matters of prudence. Like, these aren't just wise things to do. I think these are matters of necessity, once again, because this is what God's word says his church should look like. So today, we will start with understanding church leadership. What is church leadership? Leadership And my prayer and goal is that we will gain a better understanding of how God has designed his visible church on earth to be led during our time here. There's the visible church. We, we come together. But there's also the invisible church, right? There's churches that are all over the world. There's the invisible church that is already in heaven. And so we are already with our Savior, and so uh, what do we do now is the representation of God's people here on earth. 
Now, there are a few categories that fall under leadership within a church. Um, You may think of maybe like a ministry leader. Uh, You may think of maybe a a staff person. Uh, Maybe you think of a small group leader. And those are all important things. But when we get to the biblical leadership offices that are mentioned in Scripture, we see two offices. We see deacons and we see elders. Deacons and elders. Now, deacons and elders, they have two different functions, right? Deacon comes from a Greek word, diakonos, which means servant. So the deacons of the church are those that serve the church in specific ways, such as caring for physical needs, uh, caring for administrative needs, or overseeing ministry areas to ensure that the church is served well. That's what deacons do. We can look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, uh, as we kind of see the birth of deacons. Uh, You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it for us. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6 says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Now remember, this is the birth of the church in Acts. We're we're seeing the church uh, now kind of uh, grow and different things are happening. They're putting some organizational stuff together here. And it says that when they're increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so here's what happens. The 12 summoned the full number of disciples. So they got everybody together. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Probably all familiar with that. But we will, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose some men, right? Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Paracarus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicolaus, and a proselyte of Antioch. And they set these before the apostles. They prayed. They laid their hands on them. So they, they, they set these men apart to do a specific need, to, to attend to specific needs in the church. There was some special attention that was needed here. So they set them apart. They said, here, you're going to attend to serving this need so that the others could focus on what? The ministry of the prayer and the word. Now, deacons do not exercise spiritual authority in the same way an elder does. Their job is to assist the elders in handling the physical needs of the church so that the elders can, are free to focus on the ministry of the word and of prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that elders never handle any physical needs. It doesn't mean that elders never uh, set up or, or tear down. You, you see us oftentimes uh, doing that. Uh, we, we do things. We would never ask you to do anything that we wouldn't do ourselves. But what this model provides the church is an insurance policy to ensure that physical needs are met as well as spiritual needs. It's a complementary way to work together as the church to ensure that all of the needs are being met. And it helps to ensure that a healthy church has elders that are able to then give themselves primarily to prayer and the ministry of 
the world, the word. Now, although there are many functioning in the role of deacons within our church, there are a lot of you that are already functioning in this type of role. You're leading ministries. You're faithfully serving. Uh, we don't have, we have not officially set apart deacons yet. Uh, we will be uh, doing this soon. Uh, as the, when we started uh, the church, uh, we started with three elders, and uh, we have grown very rapidly uh, numerically. Praise be to God, right? And so we felt it was prudent, and we wanted to prioritize adding another elder first. Um, we believe that you can't have a church without having elders, and so we wanted to prioritize having another elder on our team. Uh, so now, as you, most of you know, if you're members of the church, uh, Pastor John Tallman was installed a a uh, few weeks back, and so uh, now we will look forward to now setting apart some deacons, and uh, we will identify and uh, then set them apart for the work of that. Uh, if you are interested in that, look to the qualifications of that. In 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, you'll see that. Uh, write that down for those that are leading ministries right now. Uh, test yourself against those qualifications and uh, that way you will be prepared if uh, we come to you, if someone identifies you as uh, one that may have a, the qualities of a deacon. But we do have elders. And elders are the men that are set apart to what? To devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So that's what we're going to look at today. So that's where we get 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So my goal, like I said, is to help us to see what do elders do, uh, how do they function, how do we look to them as leaders of the church. So let's look at our text in 1 Peter 5. Uh, I'm going to make eight observations. I know that sounds like a lot, but we're going to move through these swiftly, and uh, hopefully this will help us to understand uh, church leadership better. It's going to all be right from the text. It should be very uh, easy to follow along. And just to put this uh, portion of Scripture into context, uh, Peter is writing to a church, to a group of churches, rather, to Christians that are under severe persecution. Okay, this is written around A.D. 64-ish. And what has just happened is Nero, the, the ruler, has uh, he's actually set fire to uh, Rome, and he has blamed the Christians. He wanted to uh, rebuild and make this huge empire, and uh, so he sets the town on fire, and he blames the Christians for it. Now, Christians weren't already, they were already not the most liked people in town for many reasons, so this just kind of fueled the fire of hatred towards the Christians. Um, there were some terrible things happening to Christians in this time, but here's Peter's words of encouragement to them. I mean, they're under severe persecution like we have never seen. But he writes and he tells them that, hey, this is important. And he gives us this portion of this letter, and he says leadership is important during this time. In 419, right above our text, if you look right up with me, uh, we see kind of the suffering, right? He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter is just essentially putting forth this as a very important issue that we need to address. 
we need to look at. And leaders are extremely important in times of tribulation and opposition as well as times of peace. The church needs pastors who will stand firm, who are deeply rooted in God's word and not the, the go-with-the-flow type of person. We need men that will stand and be strong in the face of opposition. So here's what he says, verse 1 of chapter 5. So, remember he has just said, there's persecution, there's this stuff coming. So, so here's what you do. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. We make our first observation here. Number one, we see that elders are plural. Elders are plural. What does he say here? I exhort the elders among you. And then he puts himself, he says, I'm, I'm a fellow elder. Church, elders need one another, and the church needs multiple elders. Here's a few reasons why a plurality of elders is important. Uh, some of you may have grown up in a, a church that's very common in, in uh, America. you got the senior pastor and you've got some deacons, right? Deacons are actually functioning as elders. Uh, they're kind of the, the sounding board. They kind of make the, the, the rules, and uh, maybe there's committees that do these different things. And there's one man, and that is so unhealthy. It is so dangerous. And here's some reasons why, and I could go on and on, but here's a few. Number one, a plurality of elders protects the church from being a personality-driven church protects from being a personality-driven church. Uh, number two, it protects the church from one person having authority, making all the rules, being the, the, the gatekeeper for every single thing. Number three, it protects from one person carrying the full load of the church. Praise be to God that I don't have to carry the full load as the lead pastor. I mean, I was able, uh, you know, we have a teaching rotation, able to take Sundays off. It's important. If you remember Jethro and Moses, right, in Exodus 18, right? Remember Jethro goes to Moses. He's like, uh, hey, Moses, uh, what are you doing? Um, everyone's coming to you by yourself. You're, you're all alone in this. And what does he tell him? He's like, that's no good. You cannot handle the burden of everyone's problems on your own. You cannot lead well. You need people to help. Number four, a plurality of elders provides clarity from different perspectives. We sit and we make decisions together. It's not just one person that's pushing an agenda uh, at the elder t table, at the elder team, our four elders, we, we make decisions. We, we think through issues, uh, ways to disciple the church together. And we, we come to uh, unanimous decisions sometimes. I've been outvoted one time on, on something. Um, and that's okay. We tr I trust my fellow elders. I submit to them as well. We'll talk about that a little bit more 
in a moment. But lastly, uh, and like I said, this list could go on. This is by no means an exhaustive list for this. But elder, a plurality of elders also provides multiple layers of wisdom. Multiple layers of wisdom. We, we get different w- layers of wisdom here, different backgrounds and uh, different uh, men that speak in on different things. How uh, quickly the New Testament, the word, the word elders, uh, is presbyteros, that's where you get kind of Presbyterian, or bishop is something else you will see that has kind of the, the same inclination here. That's episkopos, uh, episcopalian, bishops of the Episcopal Church, that's where they get this from. Uh, but they mean the same thing, okay? They describe the same office or authoritative function. When we see the word elder, it functions on the dignity and gravity of the person who serves in that role. Plurality of elders governed all local churches in the New Testament. The New Testament knows nothing of a local church where only one elder exercises authority. Uh, Mark Dever writes on this, and he says, The Bible clearly models the plurality of elders in each local church. Though it never uh, suggests a specific number of elders for a particular congregation, the New Testament refers to elders in the plural in local churches. When you read through Acts and the epistle, there is always more than one elder being talked about. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, a team of qualified men who were called to lead a body of believers through the highs and lows of this life as they prepare for the life to come is a gift. It's a gift to the church. And it is a far too difficult job for one man to do alone. We will continue as a church to pray for elders to be raised up in this church, for men who have meet the qualifications that are uh, eager to serve, as we will see here shortly. As we grow numerically, we, by God's grace, will grow in our elders. And that will then help us to attend to the most important need, our spiritual needs as a church. So while we see that a plurality of elders is essential, Peter lays out a clear description of what these men are to do. And, he, and really then kind of how they are to do it in verses 2 and 3. Look there with me. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We'll stop right there. So our second observation here is that elders... Shepherd those God has given them. Elders shepherd those that God has given them. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Among you. First, let's answer the question, what does it mean to shepherd? What does this language say? What does it mean so the Bible speaks of sheep and shepherds practically in many places, right? We know uh, from one place, David was a shepherd boy. Uh, he was tending his sheep before he went and fought Goliath and, and got his road to fame. And that actually helped to prepare him. He's like, hey, look, I've been fighting lions and, and wool. I'm, I'm good. I, 
I can go. I'll fight this guy. God is with me. He was with me there. He's with me here. The Bible also uses sheep and shepherd language to describe the relationship between God and his people. Uh, Probably familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're familiar with that. And it's this language of the shepherd caring for the sheep. And we really see three things, right? We see that a shepherd is to protect, provide, and preserve. Protect, provide, and preserve. An elder is not responsible for a flock that's not given to them. Peter says here, the flock among you. See, God has placed a certain people under the care of certain elders. I am not uh, responsible for uh, the members of uh, Thomas Road Baptist Church. I'm not going to give an account for them. Uh, They they do not have to uh, submit to our elders. We've been given a particular people, and there is a flock that God has called us to shepherd. In the same way, Uh, Thomas Road is not responsible for you. They will not give an account for you. Um, Just a real encouragement and exhortation to you. It's important. That's why it's important that you're here, that that you listen, that you uh, listen to your pastors. Um, It's great. I listen to podcasts. I listen to other pastors. It's great to listen to them, right? Uh, the biblical knowledge, insight, right, uh, just principles and teachings that are, are solid. I encourage you to do that. But that is no replacement for your own local pastor that knows you, that knows the dealings of this church, that knows the things, the applications that need to be made in order to help you grow in holiness. I had a conversation with a young man, and he meant no uh, uh, ill intent about it, but uh, we were talking, and he said, yeah, I've been really enjoying the John series, you know. Uh, I've been listening to so-and-so, and uh, then, you know, I listen to y'all, and you, you guys are like, you're keeping up with it. And I'm like, brother, hey, good for you, and I'm, I'm happy, but why don't you listen to your pastors first? Those pastors, a, a famous pastor, John Piper, a John MacArthur, John MacArthur's still pastoring a church, Right? famous pastor that people listen to. That's great. But he's talking to his church. He's making applications for his church. So once again, while YouTubing and podcasting, your favorite pastors are great. They should never be a substitute for sitting under the teaching in your own local church, being a member committed to a body Because there's a flock that has been given to each elder. And then it says, as we continue, how? So if there are two shepherd the flock that is amongst them, like that's what they're called to do. They are to shepherd, they are to protect, 
provide, preserve, how are they supposed to do this? What should be the action, the, the characteristics that define this? Well, we see our third observation. Elders joyfully lead. Elders joyfully lead. Here's what he says. So you shepherd the flock amongst you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So our job as elders are not to do this because we have to do this. It's not like, gotta, gotta do this again. Oh, gotta deal with uh, so-and-so's issue again. Ah, gotta preach, right? Uh, even just like having conversations, I've changed my language even in that, right? You know, uh, yep, I have to preach something. No, I get to preach, right? I, I get to preach. We, we, we get to do this. It's a joy to do this. Elders must serve joyfully and willingly. And listen, it's not always easy. There are sacrifices that only other elders and our own families know. It, it's tough. Uh, there's time spent that would be with family. There are hours and just time that would never be given back. It's a hard work, tending to others and submitting yourself to the care of others. But it is a sacrifice that is worth it and is one that should be considered before one pursues pastoral ministry. Uh, remember what Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It is something that should be desired. Um, many people speak of like a calling. You know, I, I never got a phone call. Um, I don't know where you get the calling, but it's an affirmation of we see a need it's an affirmation of those around you, right? The, the, the church identifies elders. And then you aspire to that. It's something that you willingly and joyfully do. And if you start to lose that, if we start to lose that, uh, Lord willing, my fellow elders, we will hold each other accountable. But you as the church will hold us accountable to that. For begrudgingly uh, doing different things, Call us out. Say, hey, are, are you joyfully doing this? Uh, pray for us. We need it. It's not something that is done out of compulsion, right? We don't just do, ah, okay, a compulsive action to do. Elders lead because they love Jesus and they love his people. And it's worth it. Number four we see that elders seek the good of others first. They seek the good of others first. Look at what he, Peter says here. He says, it's not for shameful gain, but eagerly, eagerly. So elders aren't in this for themselves. It's not to gain a platform. It isn't about power. It isn't about a book deal. It isn't about influence. 
It isn't about money. Elders serve and lead the church for the good of others. They, they do it for the good of those around them. Hey, look, I, I cannot tell you the number of hard conversations that I, I wish I could avoid, right? Uh, the, the hard conversations that have nothing to do with any type of public platform. A lot of pastoral work happens behind closed doors in elders' meetings or in counseling members dealing with real-life issues. It isn't just preaching on Sundays. The old saying, right, pastors only work on Sundays, that's a lie, at least for the real ones. Most of the time when I meet men that, you know, say that they, whether they're young men or others that say like they, you know, they want a pastor or they, they feel called to the pastorate, one of the first things they always say, right, is, I'm like, well, tell me why. I have the gift of teaching. I mean, that's number one. Like, oh, I just want to preach God's word. Good. It's good that you aspire to do that, to proclaim God's word. And it is an essential component of pastoral ministry. It is not the only thing that you will do. And if you put your focus on that, you will neglect the others or you will be burnt out. And get burnout because of it. And often the main reason someone wants to preach is because they just want a platform. Or as Peter says here, it's for, for shameful gain. That's why many pastors don't share their pulpits. It's all about what they have to say, not what God's word has to say, how he's entrusted the church and his word to his people. Brothers and sisters, God has called elders to seek the good of others first. It's an others first ministry. Then we see in verse 3, he says, you're, you're not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Being examples to the flock. Number five, our fifth observation here is that elders lead by example. Elders lead by example. Church, it isn't just the teaching and words of an elder, of a pastor that the church should follow. It is their lives. They should have lives that are worth imitating. And this should be a real staggering warning to those who are pastors in God's church. I mean, it is to me, it is to us. We often revisit this section of Scripture in our elders' meetings. We'll read through this and, and just pray that the Lord would help us. This means that elders should have lives worth imitating. And listen, it's not that elders are perfect. If you expect perfection out of me, I'll speak for myself, I'm going to let you down. We don't live lives that are perfect. It's that we live lives that are worth imitating. We haven't reached some level of holiness that is unattainable. If that was the case, then Paul wouldn't have told the church in Corinth to imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
If you look at the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy and Titus uh, 1, there isn't anything really like extraordinary there. There isn't anything like really like uh, just crazy out of this world there. Uh, D.A. Carson notes, I quote, the list is remarkable for being unremarkable. In other words, there is nothing about superior IQ, charisma, powerful, powerful personality, or the like, end quote. Pastors, elders, are people that are just striving for godliness and holiness. And they need prayer, they need support, and they need encouragement. I mean, listen, my family has been immensely ministered to by you all. You know, if I talk too much about it, I'll get weepy. It just, it's a joy. Like, there's a mutual uh, partnership in the gospel that happens here. It's, a, it, it's, it's one of the greatest gifts uh, to the church. When we work together, elders and church members working together to provide support, to being open and honest and transparent about the needs in our own lives while we are living lives that should be worth imitating. That is what we are called to do. Paul, Peter says, be examples to the flock. Be an example. You know, I think about this and, you know, I ask the questions, right? And this is not an exhaustive list either. But when I think of this passage, when I've looked at this before, when I was uh, first ordained as a, a pastor in uh, 2015, I, I, I thought of these and I'm looking at them like, okay, hey, is this something that, that I am okay with doing? And th the questions that I ask myself is, what will our church look like if they all pray like I do? If they all read the Bible like I do? If they parent like I do? they treat their spouse like I do, if they spend their time like me, if they spend their money like me, if they serve like me. I mean, on and on we could go. But that's not that I'm doing it great. It's a question I ask myself. It's a, it's a, a serious evaluation. Like, am I doing the things that I would want our church to model, not just publicly, but privately as well, elders lead by example. And then in verse 4, we see some encouragement and a wonderful reminder to those who would serve the church as elders. Peter says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of Glory, hallelujah, praise be to God. Sixth observation that we see here is that elders truly serve the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Elders truly serve the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And this is such a good reminder. It is not people that we are here to please. Our commitment, first and foremost, is to Jesus. See, 
pastors and elders, under shepherds, have been appointed to care for the bride of Christ until he returns. Um, In premarital counseling, uh, I often tell young men that are preparing for marriage, uh, I say, hey, your job is to give your wife back to God better, better than you got her. And by God's grace, that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, but husbands and wives work together to sanctify one another, to ensure that as they pursue glory together, they are spurring one another along to holiness, becoming more Christ-like, preparing the bride for the bridegroom. Elders, pastors, shepherds are only stewards of God's people. We're, we're serving Jesus. It's like if I were to go out of town and I say, hey, can you look after my wife, my family? Can you make sure that they're okay? That there's things that, that, that happen, that they're protected, they're preserved, they're provided for while I'm away. This is what Jesus has entrusted pastors to do for the church, his bride. Just protect them, care for them, shepherd them. And there is an unfading crown of glory to be had for those that sacrifice in this life in order to spur others along to the next. That's my prayer for us, that we would be committed to that. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, there will be accountability. It's accountability for what elders do. We will be asked, how did you take care of the bride of Christ? And and brothers and sisters, if you know pastors that are failing in this duty, exhort them toward faithfulness. There is a judgment coming for those that stand in this role. This is no small task, but it is one wildly worthwhile. Because of the gravity of the role of elder, Peter reminds us that in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Seventh observation, our elders are to be respected. And listen, this is a reminder to us all that we should respect the elders of the church. And once again, this includes elders to elder. It is not a a domineering thing. It is a respect that is given to them. We are all subject to submission and respect in the life of a church. We respect one another, and this implies a level of respect for uh, spiritual maturity as well as physical age. Um, I don't believe there's a specific age requirement for an elder of a church. Uh, Timothy and Titus uh, seem to have been younger leaders in their 30s. They must have been spiritually mature. There was a level of maturity there. Uh, I know many in their 20s that are more spiritually mature than men, women in their 50s, 60s. 
Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's why. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I mean, we see that there's an accountability that will be had. They will give an account for how they cared for God's people. And then it is even greater, this accountability, this, this level of, of judgment, accountability that will take place is even greater for those that teach, that preach God's word. James 3.1, right? He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Charles Spurgeon, um, on this verse, he said that he commended all of those that came to him and said, I want to preach God's word to try and find something else to do. Find something else. And if you can't, if you still have the desire, then pursue this because there is a higher level of judgment. So church, I commend you to pray for your elders. Pray for us. We need help. Encourage your elders. Support your elders for our good as well as yours. And finally, we quickly look at our eighth observation here. And that is elders model humility within the church. Elders model humility within the church. Look at how he closes this portion. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Okay, so he brings it back to everyone. He's been speaking to the elders, but he says, hey, all of you, you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then he says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the respect given should not produce arrogance or pride. It doesn't produce some type of elitism over here. What it should create is an environment of humility for us all. Like I said, Peter points back to everyone. He says, all of you should clothe yourselves with humility. And basically what this means is like, put it on and other people can see it. Just as you put on your clothes and people see what you wear, this is a put on humility. Be humble. Model it to those around you. It's a character that we all must embrace, that we should all pray for as we seek to continue down this road towards eternity. Elders are not better than anyone. They're not the spiritual elite. I've already said they're not perfect. We are not perfect people. There will be times where we let you down, where we forget to make the phone call, where we forget to, to check in and we, whatever. We don't follow up with what we said we will do. 
but we all must model humility and extend grace that we have been given by our creator. Elders, to sum everything up, elders are servant leaders gifted by God to the church. And we will all grow when our elders model this type of leadership. So brothers and sisters, I commend you, pray for our church. Pray for our elders. Pray for our current elders and ask God to raise up other men in this church that will help to lead and shepherd this body well. This is what we need now. And this is what we will need as the world around us grows more hostile towards Christianity, towards the church. We, we need this type of leadership. We need this type of church. I started off this series, this study with leaders because, listen, as we start to now look at everyone else and uh, some different things, I want to make sure that we put forth what our responsibilities are first and foremost. So pray for your elders, support your elders, encourage your elders. And by God's grace, we will continue on until our king returns or he calls us home. Let's pray. Father, we are just grateful and thankful for the gift of the church that you would uh, bring people from all walks of life, backgrounds, and experiences, and bring them together under the, the blood of Christ, set apart as your people. As Peter reminds us, too, that we were once not a people, but now we are your people. So help us to live that way. Help us to take uh, your word serious, to take the structure that you have given to the church and to apply it for our good, for your glory. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.